Welcome to River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg. My name is Nolan Bicknell. With me as always is my co-host, Robert Zirk. Happy Canada 150! We are devoting our entire episode today to Canada's birthday. We'll have interviews and stories all about the sesquicentennial and what it means to Winnipeggers. We're going to be talking about the importance of perspective when it comes to history, uh, some interesting and fun stories about people celebrating Canada 150, but we're also going to discuss the resistance of Canada 150 and why some are questioning Canada's 150th and even choosing not to participate in this year's festivities. We've got all this, some great Canada-themed music, and much, much more on today's very special episode of River City 360. Hello and thank you for tuning into River City 360. Nolan Bicknell and Robert Zirk here with you today. Robert, how are you feeling on this fine June uh, morning or afternoon? Doing quite well, Nolan. How are you? How are you doing? I'm quite well, thank you. Today's show is really, uh, really interesting. We're going to kind of have a, a, a full-themed Canada 150 show. We're going to be covering uh, sort of as many perspectives and angles as possible. We only have an hour, so today's show is packed right to the brim with different stories and, and different interviews. Uh, up first, we have Jérôme Marchildon. He's the museum. Per- program director at the Manitoba Museum. Um, he's going to be telling us about their new exhibit, which is called Legacies of Confi- Legacies of, of Confederation, ah, excuse me, and the importance of all perspectives when it comes to Manitoba's history, not just the one that we may have learned of uh, in school. They have an incredible new exhibit, and he's shared a little bit of a guide with us about his tour, and uh, it sounds really interesting, and I can't wait to talk to him. We'll also speak with Stéphane Dorge, the creator and coordinator of Cool Streets 2017, and we'll learn all about the interesting artworks that are adorning Winnipeg streets to celebrate Canada's 150th. We're also going to be joined in studio by Michael Champagne. Uh, he is of Aboriginal Youth Opportunities. Uh, he's going to be speaking with uh, RC360's Christy Nickel all about Canada's 150th from his perspective. Uh, they're going to be talking about uh, the Resistance 150 movement and why some are choosing not to take part in this year's festivities. Then Christine Ahrens will have a chat with Candace Mitchell, the general manager of Archangel Fireworks, with a sneak peek of what people can expect this year in the fireworks department at the celebrations at the Forks. Like I said, we've got a real full show for you. So many stories to tell and perspectives to hear and discussions to be had, all celebrating and surrounding Canada 150. But before we get to any of that, let's hear a song. All songs today are going to have a little bit of a Canadian theme to them. So George Fox is going to kick things off with Clearly Canadian right here on River City 360. When I woke up in the Yukon, I knew that I was living in country that I could grow to love. But I wandered out of Whitehorse, took a train down to Prince George. I finally left, but not without a shove. Sailed day and night around Vancouver Island, B.C. That's when the West Coast became a part of me. That old full moon looked good from everywhere I stood. From Hudson Bay all the way to the Rockies. best of me. I'm clearly Canadian. Where the stars burn bright over snow so white under northern lights you can bury me. I sailed the Arctic Ocean on the way to Nova Scotia and I got a taste of the midnight sun. Chants on du leveille chantant. Je me swing me a danse in French or in English. It was fun. J.D. Salut. I rode the old St. Lawrence 
out to sea Lord in Newfoundland was paradise to me That old full moon looked good From everywhere I stood From Hudson Bay all the way to the Rockies I'm clearly Canadian This country always gets the best of me Thank you for listening to River City 360. Nolan and Robert here with you today. And we're now joined in studio by a very special guest. We've got Jérôme Marchildon, Museum Program Developer at the Manitoba Museum. Jérôme, Jérôme, thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me. Did I butcher your voice too too bad, hopefully? (laughs) Wasn't that bad? No, it was perfect. So we're here to talk about a very interesting new exhibit called The Legacies of Confederation, A New Look at Manitoba History. Um... It's Canada 150, obviously, and it's a very interesting and pivotal time in our nation and in our province. Um, So what motivated this new exhibit and what motivated wanting to tell this story? Well, um, well, first of all, we the the Manitoba Museum recognizes that, you know, Canada is turning 150. And so the question is, what does this all mean? What does this mean to everyone who lives here and who lives in Manitoba? Um, so, first of all, we, we, what we bring into perspective and what, what makes it more meaningful is bringing Canada 150 into Manitoba and when Manitoba joined Confederation. So, with this idea, uh, we were able to collect a number of uh, artifacts and uh, specimens and, and all that we can kind of piece together to bring together uh, uh, an interesting story about our history in order to, what does it mean for us to move ahead in the future? And I think that's what we're about at the museum, is that we are the holders of objects and artifacts and specimens and things and just basically stuff. And and we all collect stuff. And, and a lot of people don't know, well, why do we collect stuff? <laughs> It's to help remember who we are and, and our identity, and whether that's a very personal story or it's a story that's, that's very broad and, and can be general or more specific. But in a bigger sense, who are we as in the place that where we live? And so it's really important to recognize that we live on a land uh, that is uh, a place where traditionally uh, First Nations uh, people have lived here, 
like the Dakota, the Cree, the Anishinaabe, the Assiniboine, the Ojibwe uh, Cree. Um, and so if we're talking about Winnipeg, we're talking about Treaty 1 land. Right. And it's important to understand that. But also, not just to understand, but to gain an appreciation about where we live and and what, what does it mean to us? What does this land mean to us? Mm-hmm. And that's part of the equation of understanding um, legacies of confederation. Part, part of the equation, too, I would imagine, is acknowledging all of the different perspectives of history because there are many different sides of every single story. So how does the museum reconcile telling all these different perspectives but still trying to be as concise and accurate as possible? Well, I think it's important not to uh, forget uh, a group or uh, um, a thought or an idea. Um, and, And that's why, you know, giving this tour... I, I tell it uh, from at least four different perspectives. Uh, one being from the First Nations, from this community, from this area. Uh, the other from the Métis, uh, which is the homeland of the Métis here in Winnipeg. Um, third, of course, is the Canadian government um, that we know all too well. Uh, we, we've, we've known through it right, right through in our school years. And uh, and that's immersed, you know, in our mm-hmm. way of thought, ingrained in our way of thought. But more importantly, um, or I should say perhaps one larger group which doesn't have a voice uh, is the environment. Um, mm. it's, it's, it's the world, it's the land that we're standing on. And so we need to provide the plants, the animals, the earth, the minerals, like everything, a voice. And what is that? have anything to do with legacies to confederation well i can tell you that our land really really changed uh when many people came right. uh around the time when canada uh came into manitoba or when manitoba joined canada in 1870 so yes we're we're going to be celebrating you know uh the birth of a pro or you know the province of, of manitoba in, uh, in, in about three years, in 2020, uh, Manitoba joined Canada in 1870. Um, but it's, uh, but it's, it's part of the whole story. What has it been like as a, as a museum program developer and as a historian in some senses, um, experiencing how history has been uh, evolved, not evolving, but how we tell history has been evolving and how we we used to, like when I grew up in school, we didn't have all these perspectives. It was only the government and the settlers' perspective. But now that we're evolving a little bit and understanding the true true um, um, nature of, of Manitoba and Canada's history, how has that been on your side of the fence of seeing like how things have evolved and how we're telling stories evolve? Um, you know, uh, I would say in the last... 20 years or so, technology has boomed mm-hmm. in a sense of uh, uh, media and uh, communication devices. Um, word is getting out there. There's more stories coming out. Uh, we're being flooded with information, even overwhelmed with, or- with information, and it's making sense mm-hmm. with all this information. Um, 20, 30 years ago, we only heard one side of the story. Now we're hearing it from all sides, and that's not a bad thing. Uh, it's important to learn history 
from many different sides, from many different perspectives, and not ignore one, but to have an, have the conscious uh, idea that there are other ways of learning history uh, rather than just one way or the written way. There's also the right. oral history way that uh, everyone can really appreciate. I mean, how do you know about your family, about your grandparents, where mm-hmm. you come from? Uh, when when did your ancestors uh, land here? Um, you know, uh, so that's not written anywhere. It, it Clues could be found in letters and, or in messages and things like that. But for the most part, in many, many families, we're talking about oral history. And that's not any different from the history of, uh, of Indigenous people here that have been going on for thousands of years, right where we're standing. We're speaking with Jerome Marchildon, Museum Program Developer at the Manitoba Museum. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about the Legacies of Confederation exhibit and what people can expect should they go and take his tour. Stay tuned. Once I was alone So listening to River City 360. That was Four Aces with Canadian Sunset. We're keeping up on our Canadian theme with our music today. As you know, today is our Canada 150 episode, and we are speaking with Jérôme Marchildon, 
Museum Program Director at the Manitoba Museum, and he's the developer of the Legacies of Confederation Tour on Now for Canada's 150th until January 2018. Why did you develop this particular uh, tour, and what can people expect when they come on the tour? I see there's a whole bunch of different uh, stops and stories and trinkets and and uh, artifacts. So what can people expect if they come on the uh, Legacies of Confederation tour? Well, the reason why I developed the tour is, is for people to gain appreciation about and stop, like to think about who they are and what they're doing and uh, about what can they do from this point on. Uh, it's, uh, this tour is about arming people with information so that now they, they can't say that, well, I didn't know. Uh, now that you know, then you can do something about it. And, uh, and so that's, I like to think the museum as being a forerunner about, uh, you know, poking uh, brains and poking and, and, and inciting ideas, uh, not necessarily giving all the answers, but Just asking, sparking it almost, sparking right? the imagination, sparking the question, asking people, asking themselves the question, who they are, what does it mean to live in this place? So that was my inner most important goal about this. And um, with, with the help and with the creativity of the curators who put pull this off and and what's really interesting is this is one of very few exhibits in museum history in our museum history that all curators from all disciplines got together joined forces and developed a fantastic exhibit cool. right at the front of our galleries right when you just march right in and so um and so, so the way i tell this story and the way that i tell this this tour is from four different perspectives, as I mentioned uh, from the start. And I start from the from the right fr from the beginning, uh, and I start with some of the artifacts that are found here. For example, there's I I'm showing a, a 600 year old um, pottery uh, shard or a collection of pottery shards that formed the, the top part of an Anishinaabe culture pot. Oh. That was found uh, when they were uh, putting in the piles uh, at the uh, baseball stadium uh, roughly 15 years ago. So when that part of the forks was being developed uh, and digging into the ground, well, uh, they found all kinds of artifacts. And it's not just Anishinaabe, but there's Cree, and there's Assiniboine, and there's a Dakota, and there's many, many, many different groups and what's really interesting is that that tells a story about Winnipeg, about the Forks being a very, very, very important meeting place in the center of this continent, that people came here from all over the place and came to a place here uh, to talk and have a dialogue and, and to discuss about you know, what they're doing and how they're sharing this land and how are they going to work together. Um, and obviously that worked pretty well because, you know, um, uh, they, they uh, would, would uh, try to uh, uh, get a better understanding about their culture and who they are. And, and of course, you know, it's a great place to meet other people and form very strong partnerships. And sometimes that's through marriage. And, and that's not any different from the newcomers from Europe. When they came here, you know, 300 years ago, 
that partnership grew pretty solid when they married into other cultures or other nations, uh, which was really the birth of the Métis nation. Um, the, the, the children of the fur trade are the Métis people. And, um, and you know, growing into um, a place where they can develop a language, a culture, very unique and special than anywhere in the world, Manitoba is truly a very special place. Uh, this the birth, the birthplace of the Métis people right here. You can un- really understand the relevance of that meeting place and of the place to come together and discuss who we are and where we're going. And that's how Winnipeg has always been. Mm-hmm. And it's cool to now see this m- Human Rights Museum and all the... Winnipeg is still a hub where people come together and discuss the way that future ought to be. But you wouldn't really understand the context unless you understand the history, right? Absolutely. You need to understand the the background before you jump into Confederation. Like, how how can you just understand, like, from, like, you know, 1867 on? Like, there's a history before that. People were here. This is a land that was occupied and sovereign to the people living here. And that was recognized in the Royal Proclamation of 1763. So how can people find out more about this show, more about the Legacies of Confederation, a new look at Manitoba History Exhibit? Well, they can come to the museum uh, anytime. We're open seven days a week now, uh, 10 to 5. Um and we're also open on Friday nights from 5 to 9. So on Fridays, we're open from 10 a.m. to 9 p.m. Well, Jérôme Marcheldon, Museum Program Developer at the Manitoba Museum. You can call 204-943-3139 or visit the museum's website at manitobamuseum.ca for all the tour times and open dates and everything you need to know about Matt. Legacies of Confederation, a new look at Manitoba history. Jerome, thank you so much for talking to us today. Uh, Good luck with all your tours coming up in the next few days, and uh, hope to talk to you soon. It was my pleasure being here. Thanks, Nolan. The Legacies of Confederation exhibit is scheduled to run until January 2018. And as Nolan mentioned, you can visit manitobamuseum.ca for more information. As we mentioned at the top of the show, reconciliation is an important part of the discussion surrounding Canada 150, and later in the show, Michael Champagne will be joining us from Aboriginal Youth Opportunities to talk about reconciliation when it comes to Canada's 150th birthday. Before Michael joins us in studio, Stéphane Dorge will join us to talk about Cool Streets 2017, a project that, through street art, is hoping to inspire dialogue about the role that our roads play as part of the public spaces in our communities. But before we get to that, let's hear Canadian Pacific by George Hamilton IV, right here on River City 360. And I fished some salty waters for a time Nice and through Prince Edward Island and New Brunswick I could see them rocks and cliffs of solid stone Listening to the seagulls calling to each other Made me miss my darling and my distant home Canadian Pacific Carry me three thousand miles Valleys and the forest 
sunshine of her smile Across the plains and rugged mountains Keep this wandering boy from harm Canadian Pacific Take me to my baby's arms The Atlantic disappeared on the horizon And Quebec lay waiting for me down the track For a while I drove a truck to keep from starving In Ontario I was a lumberjack Manitoba and Saskatchewan and follow Where the wheat fields and the old Red River flows In the quiet hours your whistle on the prairie Touched my heart and set my memories aglow. Welcome back to River City 360. Robert Zirk here with you in studio. Now, I'm sure all of our listeners have seen a lot of the Canada 150 projects going on. There are so many interesting projects and initiatives that have been taking place throughout the past year, and that will, of course, be taking place this weekend in honor of Canada Day. And one of those initiatives really lives up to its name. It's called Cool Streets 2017, and I'm here with the creator and artistic director of Cool Streets, Stefan Dorsch. Stefan, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Robert. So first of all, what is Cool Streets? Perhaps people have been walking around in St. Boniface. They might have already come across it without knowing, but tell our listeners about the project. Well, if they haven't been walking around St. Boniface and seen it, I hope they do take a walk around St. Boniface to check them out. Um, cool Streets is really just a, an artistic project to celebrate the Canada 150, to try to attract you know, some of the 20,000, 25,000 tourists and athletes that we're expecting for the Canada Summer Games improve the built environment around us and to really pay attention to placemaking. I'm super passionate about placemaking and creating tourism destinations. Provencher Boulevard to me has so much potential to become, you know, uh, one of our tourist destinations along with uh, Marion Street in St. Boniface. So I want to try and improve the pedestrian environment um, to attract tourists to our community during the games and for the Canada 150. Absolutely. And that was one of the components of Cool Streets as well, because there was also funding from the Regional Health Authority that helped create the project, correct? Yeah. So uh, the Regional Health Authority is how it really started. I was at one of their community meetings um, talking about active transportation, I threw out the idea of you know, making pedestrian, um, temporary pedestrian improvements such as bump outs to narrow the crossing distances at intersections so that it's less stressful p- for pedestrians to cross. Um, and they were very receptive, so I decided to run for it. I applied for a Healthy Together Now grant, and so they were the first partners or funding partners for the project. How many artists are taking part in the project, and where are some of the locations that people might be able to see their works? Yeah, there's currently eight artists that have uh, contributed or been on site working on projects. There's an additional site that will be happening um, in the next few weeks. Some of the sites or the main sites in St. Boniface are Marion and Tache in front of the new Boucher Boucher Butcher's Last Restaurant. There's a great one from two Glenlawn students uh, that was done at Tache and Provencher. Another one that was done at Provencher and right in front of the old city hall near tourism, Riel. There's another one that was done, which is kind of the emphasis direction that I was hoping to take, which was um, we narrowed the crossing distance at the intersection in front of the University of St. Boniface at Olneau and de la Cathedrale. And that was an artist from Quebec that got the winning proposal. So I highly recommend checking that one out. Um, It's really bright. It's going to do the best because it doesn't have traffic circulating on it. 
somebody also did a, a beautiful birch tree crosswalk in front of the cathedral on de la cathedrale in saint boniface and uh, a couple other more sites uh, to be up and coming hopefully excellent so you mentioned a couple of the artworks that are on the streets could you speak to what inspired some of the artists to create their particular artworks? What are some of the themes that people might come across? Yeah, our guidelines were very vague. We just wanted something that would be easily um, repeatable. So we had some great proposals that in- involved stencil designs so that they could spray apply them with stencils and you know repeat them across all three, four crossings at the intersections. You know, We saw one of the sites is a beautiful artistic representation of a reflection of the sky where it's you know, a, a blue crosswalk with, with clouds on it. Uh, another one is like a festival sash or in Saint-Sur-Fleche. And one of the great ones is, you know, that emphasis on tourism. I really want to see Provence Boulevard become a place for tourism. The students designed some beautiful footprints leading you forward from um, Esplanade Riel to Provence Boulevard. So when the artists are painting on the street, how exactly does that work? How long does the paint last from when they actually apply it? And there was the fun logistical challenge because without our sponsors, ATS, I don't know how we would have managed all the lane closures. We had you know, six sites all at once where we had to close lanes off for the artists to be there on site. And it's completely weather dependent. Um, right, because some, you know, a heavy rainfall would probably wash everything out immediately after, right? Well, we didn't use latex paint like the, um, the Forks had done for their pride flag across the street. We're using a survey marking paint. Um, so it should hypothetically last between two and six months, depending on traffic, if it gets to a full cure. The artists had rain on them three or four times during the day during the painting process. So we were definitely worried that it might peel away with heavy traffic, but... So far already, it's been holding up uh, fairly well. So no matter what, you have no excuse not to get down to St. Boniface and check out the various artworks that are out on the street there. Cool Streets came into being just because of the inviting nature of the people that were at that Winnipeg Regional Health Authority meeting. And our funding partners you know, really encouraged me to move the ball forward and to try and celebrate the Canada 150 and the Summer Games this summer and to in- incorporate it with that. So I've been very humbled to see the the reception and the support from you know all our funders and all our sponsors mainly um, La Caisse on Provence who's an organization who, um, who you know, really contributes to the community. It's great that there are initiatives like this that encourage people to get out and really enjoy our city just by walking because there are so many walkable areas of our city and some of them don't always get the attention that they deserve and you discover really cool, interesting neighborhoods. I can go off topic a little bit, but you know, every single year in the election cycle, we always hear, or in the budget cycle, we hear, you know, spend more money on the roads, spend more money on the roads. And, you know, roads are a public space. And that's what I love about Cool Streets is, you know, we're really trying to emphasize that our roads, our public space, how they're designed isn't static. You know, we can we can re- reconfigure, redesign our roads to be more inviting for pedestrians, more inviting for people on bikes, more inviting to host cafes, restaurants, etc. You know, they really are not just a, a way to get from A to B, but they are A and B. They're often our meeting places, our destinations. You know, they're what holds our, supports our businesses, organizations, etc. Very cool. So as we mentioned earlier, if anyone wants to check out Cool Streets, it's probably just as simple as heading down to just about anywhere in St. Boniface. And eventually on your walk, you'll come across one of these very interesting artworks. But if people want to find out more information about the initiative, where can they go to find out the specifics of the locations and get more information? Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, don't have much of a website presence, but definitely our Twitter handle. So you can 
Google search Cool Streets 2017, or Twiddle handle is just Cool Streets 2017. And you'd be able to find images of the locations and uh, descriptions of the, the locations before you come see them. Very cool. Something for Winnipeggers to go out there and discover this Canada Day weekend and beyond. Thank you so much, Stefan, from Cool Streets 2017. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, Robert. Thanks, Robert. Coming up next, River City 360's Christy Nickel will be joined in studio by Michael Champagne to talk about reconciliation when it comes to Canada 150 and his perspective when it comes to the festivities. But first, the song Is Sorry Enough by Murray Porter. He wrote this song as a response to the government's apology when it comes to the residential school systems here in Canada, and we wanted to share it with you for Canada's 150. What you do Tell us you'll do better But it's hard To believe In you Now the day has finally come You told the world that you were wrong But far too many Have passed on now When it's sorry enough You took away our children Stole our mother's love Laid waste to our traditions Wasn't that enough Separated from our culture So many years so alone with no mothers and no fathers in a world so far from forced to use another language and punished when you spoke your native tongue They're trying to kill our spirits here But our hearts still be as one Took away our children Stole our mother's love Laid waste to our traditions 
wasn't dead enough. Yeah, Thank you for listening to River City 360. Nolan and Robert here with you, and we're now joined in studio by Christy Nickel and Michael Champagne. They're going to be having a discussion about Canada 150 when it comes to this year's festivities. Christy? So today we are joined by a very special guest, Michael Champagne. Uh, Michael is the organizer of AO Aboriginal Youth Opportunities Movement. Uh, He's the host of Inner Inner City Voices and an MC for the North End of Winnipeg. Welcome, Michael. Thank you for having me and the other AO Rowdies that are in studio with us. Yes, thanks for coming. (laughs) Um, Today's show is all about Canada's 150th birthday. There are a few different perspectives that Canada can be viewed from, so I wanted to have you on the show to get your perspective. What do you think of when you hear Canada's 150th? What do I think of? I think of government priority. Interesting. Can you expand on that? Well, it has appeared for the last year, and it looks like it's going to be into the foreseeable future, that the government of Canada is really prioritizing the messaging of Canada 150. Um, To some people, it would be at the expense of meaningful work. Right. So I, like many others, may be naive when it comes to Canada's history preceding the 150 years that we're learning about in school often and and that we're celebrating this year. Um, I've read a few articles and commentaries talking about the resistance to Canada 150, so much so that hashtag resistance 150 has become fairly prominent. What do you think this, uh, how this movement came to be? Well, I think um, there are a few elements to my understanding of Resistance 150. I know that it is, um, there is a very strong uh, presence within First Nations, Métis, and Inuit circles that Canada 150 is a celebration of colonization. And um, as many of us know from the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and their calls to action, uh, for many of those 150 years, Indian residential schools were operating in Canada, deliberately separating Indigenous children from their families and their home communities. Uh, It continues to this day, especially here in Manitoba, under the uh, child welfare system. Mm -hmm. And um, what this, and also if we take a look at health outcomes for Indigenous peoples in Canada, um, we see Indigenous youth suicide crisis. We see many communities that uh, are under boil water advisories. Uh, We see many communities that um, uh, infant mortality and, and general health of communities is extremely poor, um, which leaves many of those communities and, and the relatives of those people asking the question, what exactly is it that we are celebrating? Mm-hmm. Uh, some people will know that a little over a year ago, the uh, Canadian Human Rights Tribunal ruled uh, in favor of the First Nations Caring Society, uh, Cindy Blackstock and uh, the movement to uh, honor um, Indigenous children and, and, and provide equitable services for First Nations kids. Mm-hmm. Um, 
uh, as of uh, Aboriginal Day, uh, the 21st, uh, it was 510 days of inaction from this government from the time it said, from the time the tribunal said you need to stop underfunding child welfare supports for children. Um, so that's 510 days plus the distance in between of the government saying, we love indigenous peoples, we want to help indigenous peoples. Meanwhile, um, there's a, literally a human rights tribunal on the table here mm -hmm. where the government is not acting. So this leaves many indigenous people asking the question, what exactly is it we are celebrating? And, and what is a priority to mm -hmm. Canada? Because right now, this celebration is a priority and uh, equitable services for indigenous children is not a priority. So many, many of us are not going to be engaging in Canada 150 uh, or celebrating. Mm -hmm. uh, instead, on that day, we will be reminding uh, Canadians and all those who choose to engage in Canada 150 that we are still here and that our children's lives matter uh, even more than fireworks. That's great. Yeah, I love that. And uh, you're obviously a great speaker. You're a leader in the Indigenous community, especially to youth. Um, have you seen any conflict from Indigenous people who are choosing to c celebrate Canada 150? Well, there's definitely uh, many uh, First Nations, Métis, Inuit folks who are engaging in Canada 150 signature events and activities. Um, myself uh, included. I spoke at Pemina Trail School Division recently on mm -hmm. Canada 150, and one of the things that I really wanted to remind the 15,000 students who were at Investors Group Field for that event was that uh, as much as this is a celebration, um, my message was that we all have a, a responsibility, and we all need to fulfill our responsibility. There is this identity that is being uh, celebrated right now of Canada as nice, Canada mm -hmm. as peacekeeping. Mm -hmm. Well, it doesn't feel peaceful when the government continues to separate Indigenous peoples from their lands or Indigenous children from their families. Um, there's also no cause uh, for celebration when we uh, look at situations such as Jordan's Principle, where provincial and federal governments are continuously uh, fighting over who has to pay for health care services for Indigenous kids. And unfortunately, Indigenous children die while that argument is happening because they aren't able to access the necessary health services. Mm -hmm. So um, if we're going to be honest about who Canada is, is it nice that Indigenous children are dying because governments are squabbling over who's got the bill? <laughs> I don't think so. No. Yeah. Um, if some communities choose not to celebrate events like Canada 150 and then others are not reaching out to learn from the Indigenous perspective, Will true reconciliation be able to take place in the near future? Well, I think um, true reconciliation is a beautiful goal for us to be working on together. Mm -hmm. um, but I also think um, in order for uh, true reconciliation to become reality, the, your actions and your policies and your dollars need to follow where your narrative is going. Mm -hmm. And right now we hear things from our prime minister like uh, my relationship with the indigenous people is the most important relationship. Mm -hmm. And that's fine for him to say. But in terms of his, uh, his actions, 
uh, as I mentioned, there are still too many boil water advisories. There are stu still too many indigenous uh, young people that are taking their own lives, and there's still way too many uh, poor health outcomes in First Nations uh, families. Mm -hmm. So it's it's frustrating to hear that narrative and for people to say, look at all the great things that have happened in Canada when uh, we could have taken at least a couple of the millions that is being put into Canada. I don't know if you guys the talked yet about how many million it is. Do you guys know? I don't know the actual I don't, numbers. I, I don't know the actual number myself. I know it's in the millions. But let's let's hypothetically say we take a chunk of that millions mm -hmm of dollars that is going towards Canada 150 and we, I don't know, implement the Canadian Human Rights Tribunal. That, to me, would be something to celebrate. Difference, yeah, that would make a difference. Yeah. And looking forward 150 years, how can we align ourselves so everyone can celebrate Canada together? Um, I think as much as, as difficult as this may be for people to comprehend, um, I think that this is the truth. The challenges and the systems, uh, the situations that have led to the poor health outcomes that Indigenous kids and families are facing um, are a result of systemic uh, neglect or systemic uh, intentions. Uh, perhaps the intentions were good, the impacts were not. Mm -hmm. So um, the only way that I know how to fix this is for us to quit saying that our solutions that we need are complex solutions. The problems and the systems are complex. Yes, the solutions are actually quite simple. You need water, you need food, you need love, you need safety. Boom. Do you know what indigenous people need? All of those things. Mm -hmm. And when my relatives in Shamatawa have the same access that you do to those things, then I will gladly sit down in a circle, sing Kumbaya, and say, thank you, Canada, for what you've done yeah. to promote equitable treatment of Indigenous peoples in this country. It seems as if now your uh, money is where your mouth is. How, how can the average Joe start working, on, working toward that reconciliation? Like how, can, how can somebody like me start to make a difference? Well, what I always like to point to is I like to point to the grassroots. I like to point to uh, what I'm often referring to as the village, urban indigenous volunteer-led initiatives. Initiatives such as, of course, Aboriginal Youth Opportunities, mm -hmm. uh, Meet Me at the Bell Tower, but also uh, initiatives like Drag the Red that bring closure for our missing and murdered indigenous women uh, families. Mm -hmm. um, initiatives like Got Bannock that provide food and respect to our relatives on the street who are experiencing homelessness. Um, there are an ample amount of opportunities for citizens of Winnipeg and Canada to uh, build a relationship with the first peoples of their territory. And I would hope that anybody listening who is asking themselves, what can I do? In Winnipeg, we are extremely organized as an indigenous community. And mm -hmm. so there are weekly opportunities every single week for you to help us with the initiatives that I mentioned and many more. Um, so the best thing that I can say for individuals to help with reconciliation is to uh, build a meaningful relationship with the First Peoples in your territory and lean on that relationship to help dictate which actions you take. Because the action, I, I can't give a blanket statement right now to say step one, step two, step three, this right. is what I want Canadians to do. Right. Um, but I can tell you step one. Yep. Step one is build that relationship with the First Peoples in your community and ask the question, what can I do to help? Uh, don't show up and say, I have the answer. This is what you do. 
uh, don't uh, approach uh, uh, an indigenous community group or, or a First Nations uh, person and say, I have all the answers mm-hmm. because we've heard it before. And clearly, no one has had any of the answers despite all of the people who said that they did. Yeah. So, so please don't say that. But if you approach it as a human being and, and you say, hey, I'm, I'm sincere mm-hmm. about this, I promise you, uh, the individuals that are also sincere in the indigenous community about reconciliation will treat you with one of our foundational teachings. And that teaching is the teaching of kindness, where we have to understand um, and appreciate that not everybody is privileged to grow up with uh, First Nations teachings in their life. And, and maybe, uh, you know, the, some of the teachings that we have within our community, like the respect for the land, like the priority uh, for our families, like respecting our knowledge keepers and elders. Um, I truly believe that those values within Indigenous circles are values that Canadians could embrace as well. Um, but it's only going to happen if we build a relationship. And it has to be a, a relationship that honors and respects reciprocity. Uh, reciprocity meaning if you want to come and help me out with something, that's fine and good. Mm-hmm. But I certainly hope you're making space in your life for me to help you out with something as well. Because uh, we ain't charity cases. We have a lot to give. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can at least speak on behalf of many of the young people that I've been able to connect with. Uh, we're educated. Uh, we're active. And our example is our message. So we need all the helpers we can get um, to help address some of the inequities we've discussed here today. Amazing. Love it. Um, I think this was such a a much needed conversation. Very important thing to talk about. Um, I'm really happy that you could come down today. Thank you so much for being here, Michael. Thank you. And the rest of you. Yes. Thank you for walking (laughs) us into your studio. Thanks, Christy, and thanks again, Michael, for taking the time to talk about this very important issue today. We really appreciate your perspective on things. Coming up next, River City 360's Christine Ahrens will be joined via telephone by Candace Mitchell. She's the general manager of Archangel Fireworks to talk about what they have in store for this year's festivities. But first, your Sugar Shop with Canada, right here on RC360. <laughs>
Thank you for listening to River City 360, Nolan and Robert with you. And we're now going to be joined by Christine Ahrens. She's got a phone call conversation with Candice Mitchell, General Manager of Archangel Fireworks. Christine? I'm with Candace Mitchell of Archangel Fireworks. Candace, thanks so much for speaking with me today. Oh, our pleasure. So every year, fireworks obviously play a huge role in celebrating Canada Day. Uh, you must have been very busy lately with the overwhelming of people who are purchasing. And I'm curious if every year there's a certain uh, set of fireworks that are particularly popular, or is it the same from year to year? Uh, you know what? Every year it tends to vary. What Archangel specializes in is obviously um, all of the people that work for us actually shoot fireworks professionally as well. So not only does Archangel have the storefront, we're also responsible for a lot of the productions of fireworks that people see in communities. So what we try to do is bring that level of knowledge to the average consumer, right? Somebody who comes in to buy fireworks. So we'll explain the proper setting up of it, um, where they should shoot it, what their site looks like, precautions that they should take. But the one thing we try to do is make every single show unique. So there isn't a preset um, one specific firework that everybody loves. I mean, there's a lot of things that we suggest that people really like. Uh, for example, this year we have a pre-made package that's already choreographed 150 for 150. Right? Just kind of makes sense. Awesome. Um, so outside of that, no, we do our best to make sure that every show that leaves our building is original. Yeah, for sure. So you've also been a, you're an award-winning company for the displays that you do. What do you think is the difference between just a good firework display and what makes it award-winning? Uh, well, there's a lot of artistry to the design of an actual fireworks show to music. So a pyromusical, pardon me, a pyromusical is what it's called. Um, we have a very out-of-the-box sort of feel when we come to soundtrack choices. So rather than using standard fireworks music, which you would say would be, you know, a soundtrack from Cirque du Soleil, for example, uh, we tend to push that boundary as far as we can. The, one of the competitions we did in Vancouver, the Celebration of Light, we actually shot to Marilyn Manson. Wow. So sometimes we push that boundary a little bit too far, but at the same token, we like to keep everything very fresh. So. Um, in the same way that a painter paints a picture, um, our designers do the same thing in the sky, just with fire. For sure. So uh, I was kind of imagining it when you're putting together firework displays. It's almost like arranging flowers. You have to figure out what works and what doesn't. So how do you figure out which fireworks work together? Do you just have to practice or is there a, a way to do A lot of that? it comes with on-site training, for sure. Um, knowing what looks nice together, but standard colors, you know, I really like the fact that orange and blue look nice together. Um, so our designers work with that as well. Obviously, red and white is going to be huge this year because we're all super excited about Canada's 150th. Um, but it comes with experience. Trial and error, I don't want to say that we come onto a show um, and not knowing that it'll look great because, I mean, they're fireworks. They always look fantastic. But a lot of there's a lot of testing that's done um, that we do behind the scenes that people don't know about so that when we do present a display to a customer um, or to a community, we kind of know exactly what it's going to look like. For sure. So you've also put together uh, displays for the Forks, who they're promising a show unlike every other to celebrate Canada 150. So when a client comes to you asking to make their show bigger and better than ever, what does that mean for you or what changes are you making? Oh, we've got a lot of really fun things in store. Uh, I don't want to give too, too much away, but um, I do suggest that people look to different sites this year. We're doing our best to use the entire property because we appreciate that so many people come down, and there isn't always necessary optimal viewing for the South Point show simply because the area is so small. So what we've tried to really do is expand throughout the entire site. Um, our plan also this year is to bring 150 to life literally. Well, sounds awesome. So yeah, I won't make you uh, give away any secrets. So I'm really excited to catch the show. It should be one of the best that anyone's seen in Winnipeg for a long time. Candace, thanks so much for speaking with me today and good luck wrapping everything up for Canada Day. Thank you. 
All good. All right. Thanks so much. Uh, I know pleasure. you must have Thank been you. so busy. So, <laughs> yeah, that was great. Awesome. Thanks so much for the call. I appreciate it. And have a great Canada Day. Thanks. You too. Okay. Bye-bye. See That's a wrap on this week's episode of River City 360. Thank you so much for tuning in to our Canada 150 Focus on today's show. We really really appreciate it. If you'd like to hear more views and news from around Winnipeg, listen to any of our past episodes, or subscribe to our podcast, please visit our website at rivercity360.org. Again, that's rivercity360.org. River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg, is a project of the Winnipeg Foundation in partnership with CJNU 93.7 FM. And we would love to hear your feedback about the program you heard today. Please give us a call. Our number is 204-944-9474, extension 360. You can also send us an email, rivercity360 at wpgfdn.org. You can leave us a comment about the show, request a song, or suggest a topic for a future show. Again, our number to call, our listener line, is open 24-7, so feel free to leave us a message. It's 204-944-9474, extension 360. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook as well by searching at RiverCity360 on Twitter and RiverCity360 on Facebook. I'm Nolan Bicknell, signing off for River City 360. And I'm Robert Zirk. Thank you again so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Have a great Canada Day weekend.